Thank you for listening to the Celebration Church podcast. For more information about Celebration Church, go to ccacron.org. There you will find information about our church, upcoming events, and how to make a contribution to the ministry of Celebration Church. We hope this message is an encouragement to you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Mark chapter 5. Thank you, Jesus. While you're going to Mark chapter 5, Song of Solomon. And I, I'm just going to... Actually, why don't, why don't we do this? Why don't you go to Song of Solomon? Because I want you to be on the same page that I am, which is, in my Bible, page 935. <laughs> Song of Solomon, chapter 4. You know, when, when God begins to move and do something supernatural in your life, and begins to awaken, especially... Uh, for things that have lie, lie dormant, if you've, ever, if you've ever been in the place where you feel like spiritually, maybe nobody in the room has felt this, maybe I'm the only one, but if you've ever been in a place spiritually where you feel like the promises of God, the things that God's spoken to you, the life of God, the salvation that you've experienced, have you ever felt it? as if it were lying dormant in your life, that, that the things that God's promised are just stagnated somewhere, or God's just kind of left it to die. Am I the only one, or are y'all just, okay, just making sure. I didn't know if I was uh, in the wrong church or anything, you know. So we all go through those seasons. We all go through those seasons where the, where the promises of God are the things that we feel like uh, the fruit, so to speak, that we should be bearing in our lives is not being produced as we think it ought to be. And so when the Spirit of God begins to move in our lives, He awakens that fruit. He begins to stir up uh, those promises. He begins to speak life. And, and Song of Solomon, chapter 4, gives us a, a pretty uh, clear picture of this and what this looks like. Um, in Song of Solomon, chapter 4, and verse 12, says, A garden enclosed is my sister, my spouse, a spring shut up, a fountain sealed. Your plants are an orchard of pomegranates. You know, this is Song of Solomon. Solomon is so, um, you know, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is very clever and very creative with his words and paints such an incredible picture of God and his work in us. A fountain sealed, your plants are an orchard of pomegranates with pleasant fruits, fragrant henna with spikenards, spikenard and saffron and calamus and cinnamon with all the trees of frankincense, myrrh and aloes, with all the chief spices, a fountain of gardens, a well of living waters and streams from Lebanon. I mean, this is a this is an awesome picture of God in our lives. This, this is the picture of God that you and I can begin to walk into the secret garden, if you will, the secret place with God. This, this is a description, 12 through 15, is a description of, of God in us. This is a picture of Christ and, and what we can experience in God. The, the, the fruits 
of his, uh, of his garden, the, the spices of his garden. All of these things are enclosed in the garden of God that you and I can begin to experience. Now, it, you know, there, there's not some uh, great theological explanation of what all these uh, fruits and spices are, the point of this, and, and they're all, uh, you know, it's all good stuff, and there's, there's meanings and all that, but beyond that, the point is that God is this garden enclosed that we can begin to step in and enjoy this wonderful garden, this fruitful garden, this place of spice, this place of aroma. I mean, you start talking about all these spices, uh, cinnamon, spikenard, frankincense, myrrh, all of these are very distinct smells and aromas that you and I can begin to step in. In, in other words, God is a very diverse God. He's a very creative God. And if we will just come into the secret place with Him, if we'll begin to step into the secret place with Him, that there is a, there's a whole garden full of fruits and spices and aromas in Him that we've not even begun to, to begin to imagine and to experience. Are you all understanding what I'm saying tonight? Some of you look like, what is he talking about, a garden? Who's got a garden? This is, this is Song of Solomon. We're in Song of Solomon <laughs> chapter 4. You elbow your neighbor and say, you better wake up, that you're missing out. You're, you're not smelling the right fragrance tonight. So Song of Solomon chapter 4, this great picture of the, of the fruit and the wonderful works of God that you and I can experience. Now he goes on in verse 16. This is, I just wanted to point this out. This isn't what I'm preaching tonight. We are talking about the miracles of Jesus, and we're going to get there in a minute. But Song of Solomon 4 verse 16 says, Awake, O north wind, and come, O south, blow upon my garden. Blow upon my garden that its spices may flow out. Let my beloved come to his garden and eat its pleasant fruit. So the, so the story, the picture changes. It moves from talking about God and the garden of God to moving to the garden that's in each of our lives. So as you begin to come into the secret place with God and you begin to eat and, and enjoy the fragrances, eat of the fruit of God's garden, you begin to dine on his delicacies, then it produces the same kind of fruit in your life. It begins to produce the, the, same, the same fragrances and the same, uh, the same fruit, the same spices begin to be produced in your life. The more that you and I begin, the more that you and I spend our time in the garden of God, in His, in His provision, the more that you and I take on the nature of heaven, God's, God's divine nature. That's what Solomon's de depicting here. The more that we spend time with, why, if you have an ugly attitude, you need to get in the garden with God. If, if, you, if, you, if you feel ruffled tonight that I'm preaching on the garden and not... What does the garden have to do? You're missing it. You need to get in the garden with God tonight. <laughs> if you're upset, that, you know, whatever, get in the garden. Get in the garden. And as you begin to partake of the fruit that's in God's garden, and you begin to enjoy His sustenance, then that nature. And then the Bible says, Awake, O north wind. Come, O south. Blow upon my garden. Well, who's the wind? Who, who is the wind? It is the Holy Spirit. It is the breath of God. It's the Ruach in, in Hebrew, the Ruach of God. Come blow across my garden. The wind of the Holy Spirit begins to blow across those spices, begin to blow across the fruit. And when it does, it causes the fruit. If you 
if you uh, had known anything about fruit and the seasons, when the north wind, the cold wind, blows at the change of season, it causes the fruit that's on the vine to mature and become sweet. And so it's, the, it's that wind of the Holy Spirit that comes and blows, that north wind that comes and blows across the fruit and causes our fruit to mature. It causes, it causes our lives to begin to uh, aerate, if you will, to begin to allow the, the freshness of heaven to begin to blow out of us. If you have stinky wind coming out of your life, <laughs> you got to get in the garden. you got to get in the garden and allow the Holy Spirit to blow fresh wind, to blow the spice of heaven through your life. <laughs> yes, I said stinky wind. It's okay, when we were in New Orleans, I... I I was preaching on uh, Isaiah uh, that we need the dew of Hermon to come. And uh, I said, y'all are dried up and cracked out. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> we're all we're dried up and cracked out. I don't know if we heard. We, uh, we need the dew of Hermon to come soften us up. We need the wind of the Holy Spirit to come blow across us. Mark chapter 5. That was a freebie tonight. That's not what I'm preaching. Uh, it was just, if nothing else, entertainment value. That I said, you have stinky wind blowing out of your heart. Uh, which you might. Mark chapter 5. One of my favorite stories in the Bible. The healing the healing of the woman with the issue of blood and Jairus' daughter. And Mark chapter 5 and verse 1 says, Now when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him. And he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came to Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter die, lies at the point of death. Come lay your hands on her that she might be healed." And she will live. And Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for twelve years and suffered many things. I love this. Uh, this, is, this is one of those uh, ironic kind of verses in the Bible. Suffered many things from many physicians. Maybe you've felt that way in your life. You've, instead of getting better from the doctor, you only grew worse. That's, that's what this woman went through. She only got worse. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. And when she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I only, if, for if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. And immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, You see the multitude thronging you, and you say, You touch me. And he looked around to see her who had done this thing. And the woman, with fear and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. And while he was still speaking, some of the rulers of the synagogue's house, who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? And as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not be afraid, 
only believe. You should underline that. Do not be afraid, only believe. And he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw a tumult. It was a big, big, big wailing party. And those who wept and wailed loudly. It was a noise. When he came in, he said to them, Why are you making this commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but only sleeping. And they ridiculed him. And when he had put them all outside, I love that. Jesus took charge of the other man's house. <laughs> That's New Orleans hospitality if I've ever seen it. You just kind of take, step in and you take charge. It doesn't matter if it's your house or not. You're just going to take over and take charge. Get them out, <laughs> outside. I know this isn't my house, Jairus, but I'm going to take care of them for you. Get outside. <laughs> That's what Jesus did. He took, the, he took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him and entered where the child was lying and he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kumai, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl arose and walked, for she was 12 years of age. And they were overcome with great amazement. But he commanded them strictly that no one should know of it and said that something should be given to her to eat. I just want to take a few, mo- few moments, if I can, and just uh, teach and break down this scripture for you. Uh, first thing that I, I want to just point out, where Jesus has just come from. Uh, he just stilled the storm on the sea, which we never did really fully cover that. I tried preaching it for two or three weeks straight, and it uh, just didn't seem that we got through that. So I said, we, we will just call it done, and uh, otherwise we're going to get hung up on this scripture the rest of the time I try to teach miracles of Jesus. You know, if you ever had one of those messages uh, that you just kind of sticks in your head and in your spirit, you just can't shake it, well, that was apparently the one for me. Uh, so, so I just said, we're going to move right along. So the steal, stealing of the storm... And um, then uh, we, Jesus moves on, and he cast out the demons, the legion of demons, out of the demoniac and gatherings, and now he's on his way back across the lake. And word has spread about the miracles of Jesus. Word has gotten out, and the Bible says that when Jesus got to the shore, he was greeted by a crowd that had gathered, a large crowd. It says that uh, a great multitude gathered to him. Now, in this multitude, it's probably as, as it is with any other crowd, you have different types of people in the crowd. You have probably the innocent bystander that's there that's just uh, innocently caught in the commotion, wasn't expecting Jesus, didn't know Jesus was coming through, didn't know that there was any miracles happening, just happened to be caught in the commotion. Innocent bystander. And then you probably have the folks that are spectators, all in that crowd. They, they came to see, they came out to see, who is this Jesus? We heard about his miracles. Really don't need anything from Jesus. Really not expecting a miracle from Jesus. But I want to come out and see what Jesus has to offer. Let's see, let's see who this man is. And maybe tonight you might be a spectator. You might be hearing about what's happening. Or you might feel something in your spirit brought you here, whatever the case is. We have people all the time that say, I don't know how I ended up here. I've just come in and I don't know why I'm here. And that's the Spirit of God drawing people in. And it's awesome. Uh, but, and we have people that just come in, they just want to spectate. Why do people fall on the floors here at this church? Why do people roll around? Why do they pray in tongues? Why, well, I've heard about people getting healed. All of these things. It's awesome. Uh, but they're spectators. They're not hungry. They're not desperate for Jesus. They're not hungry for a touch of God in their life. They're just spectating. And then you have those that are, uh, that maybe might be uh, open to God touching their lives. They're open to Jesus doing something in their lives, but they're not really hungry. If Jesus happens to call me out and say, you know, Joe, I'll minister to you, then, then I'll receive something. 
but I'm not really coming hungry. You know, openness doesn't mean that you're hungry. Are you out there? Do you hear what I'm saying? You know, people tell us all the time, well, I'm open to the Holy Spirit. Well, that's great. But that doesn't mean that you're hungry or you're desperate for God to move in your life. It just means that you're open to it, should He? But, but heaven forbid that God actually might do that in your life because you're really, you're just open. And open really is just other words for being complacent. I'm open, I'm complacent, don't mess up my complacency, I'm okay where I'm at, I'm okay where I'm sitting, I don't mess, don't change my seat, my name is engraved on this, don't change, don't change anything, don't take those flags off the stage because heaven knows the flags aren't there, I can't worship. So, you know, we, that's called complacency, that's not, that's complacency. I'm open, it's complacent. And then there are those that we read about, like Jairus, who were desperate for God, who wanted a move of God in their life. They, they were at a place that only Jesus... You know, Jairus, here's this man who is a ruler of the synagogue. He's, uh, by historical standards, is probably a Jewish uh, prince, has a lot of wealth, a lot of money, a lot of influence, so much influence that when he shows up, the crowd allows him to walk into Jesus. You know, there, you know here's the thousands of people thronging Jesus, and one man shows up, and the crowd allows this one person to walk through to get to Jesus. That indicates he probably has some sort of public uh, recognition. Uh, you know, so that here's this man who has it all together. Uh, even by him, this religious leader, even coming to Jesus. You know, remember the religious leaders, the rulers of the synagogue were anti-Jesus. If they showed up in a Jesus meeting, uh, they they were there to ridicule and to judge and to build their case against Jesus. But here comes this man who is desperate, he's a religious leader, desperate for Jesus to do something in his life. He's breaking the religious rule, or the, uh, he's, he's breaking their approval. He's not getting their approval in doing this. It could cost him his job or his authority within the synagogue. Amen. You all hear what I'm saying? And so there, there are those who are desperate for Jesus, who say, I've, I've got to get to Jesus, not for the sake of spectating or bystanding or just being open. I have to get to Jesus so that he can work a miracle in my life. I'm desperate without him. My life and my situation, there's nothing that I can do to improve my life any ounce without him. I have to have Jesus in order to be anything or to be uh, free from whatever, to be healed of whatever, to move forward in life, to forgive all, all of my sustenance. Everything that I have comes from Him. In Him, we live and breathe and have our being. I have to find Jesus. And so I want to encourage you that we would be of those in the crowd that are desperate for the presence of the Lord, that are desperate to get into His presence, not, not satisfied with sitting on the shoreline and watching everybody else enjoy the river of his presence, not satisfied with, with seeing others get ministered to and others step up in, in seeing the presence and the power of God lived out in their life. No, I want to be one of those who are right in the middle with Jesus, getting touched and being changed. And then step it up the next level in that crowd are the disciples. Here you have those who are not just being touched and being changed and they're going on a transforming journey with Jesus. You have those that, like the demoniac of the Gadarenes, who, who once Jesus set him free, you can just read in the few verses uh, pre previous to 21, the, the demoniac said, Jesus, I'm going with you, man. 
You just set me free. I, I've been tormented by thousands of demons. I'm going with you. And what was Jesus' response? He said, no, you're staying right here in the countryside, and you're becoming an evangelist to this countryside. And that's exactly what the man did. And so when God touches and changes your life, then you become the disciple, the one that goes on the journey with him and, and begins to see the countryside changed. And that's, that's where we ought to be, desperate, hungry, and going on a, a lifelong journey that changes the countryside. And uh, so we go on a little further. Jairus comes in. Of course, we talked about Jairus. Here's a, the ruler of the synagogue. He can't heal his daughter. She's, been, she's a 12-year-old girl. He can't heal her. He can't set her free. He can't raise her from the dead. He need, needs Jesus' touch. I think it's interesting. It's a great picture. Uh, 12-year-old daughter. Here's this little girl who the enemy is trying to rob of her innocence, who's trying to stop her maturing, stop her from becoming the woman of God that God intends for her to be. Now, I just want to take this a step further, and I, and I don't feel that I, I am in any way doing injustice to the Scripture here, but I want to point out something that's very significant. The number 12 here we see twice in the Scripture. There's a girl who is 12 years old and the, the woman who suffered for 12 years, which we'll get to in a moment, but the, but the number 12 in Scripture is symbolic of the church. When, when God uses the number 12 in Scripture, it is the number or symbol of the church. And so we find in this passage of Scripture in Mark chapter 5, a great prophetic symbol, great prophetic message to the church. Here is this 12-year-old girl that the enemy would like nothing more than to stop her from maturing and stepping into the fullness of what God has for her. How many of you know that the enemy would like nothing more than to stop the local church from advancing? The enemy wants nothing more than to, and, and I'm not one to go on and on about the enemy, but I, I think there's a reality here, here that we have to observe and take note of, and that is that it is God's plan to heal and to restore the, the dead, dying things in his church. What God has spoken over his church, he is faithful to complete and accomplish. I don't think that God is about uh, aborting his plans in the local church. I think God establishes his church. I think the local church is his plan. It's the plan throughout the New Testament. It's his plan throughout uh, till Jesus comes back. That is, it is his only plan, is the local church. And so I believe that God wants to breathe new life, fresh life into this generation, into this church. And uh, so we go on. So that the great multitude follows Jesus and Jairus, and they're on their way to Jairus' house. And in comes this woman who has had an issue of blood for 12 years. Now, this issue of blood was more than likely a sexually transmitted disease. Um, she had, she had gone to doctors to try to get the doctors to stop it. They couldn't stop the disease. She had had this flow of blood. It wasn't going away. Uh, she had spent all that she had, the Bible says, and she only grew worse. It wasn't, it wasn't being fixed. In other words, uh, if you take this and take a look at the church, her issue of blood did two things. It stopped intimacy, and it, it, it uh, stopped her ability to reproduce. Now, if you take that and apply that to the church, issues will cause you to stop your intimacy with your Heavenly Father. 
All of a sudden, your intimacy with God gets cut off because you carry around your issues. Instead of getting healing and, and moving on, allowing God to allow His dunamis power to flow in through your life and, and, and you to forgive and to move on and to release those things that have happened in the past, you hang on to them and they become a yoke around your neck and they affect your intimacy with God, with your Father. And it, in, it, it incapacitates you from being able to reproduce. You can't, you can't produce new disciples. You can't raise up new people. This woman who was uh, suffering for 12 years could have been ministering to this little girl who was dying. She, for 12 years, she could have been mentoring this girl, ministering to this girl, but because of her issues, she was incapable of reaching out to this girl. Issues with the body of Christ, issues with God, issues with one another. Issues will keep you in discord and out of unity and prevent the commanded blessing of the Lord in your life. It will prevent the commanded blessing of God in our church. And so the better thing for us to do is to deal with our issues. <laughs> we don't sweep them under the rug, we deal with them. Ain't that right? We deal with our issues. We don't, we don't sweep issues under the rug. We say, God, come change me. Come transform me. Let's not overlook this anymore. God, I don't, I don't want my intimacy with you affected. I don't, I don't want my ability to reproduce what you've done in my life with someone else. I don't want that affected. I need the dunamis power of the Holy Ghost to flow through my life. And what happens when the Holy Spirit, and this is what we've been seeing, and, and it ruffles sometimes, it ruffles people's feathers because they, they, the issues start bubbling to the surface. We talked about this last week, that the refiner's fire causes the impurities that are at the bottom to begin to rise to the top. And, and the refiner comes in and he begins to scoop this up. We don't like the issues coming to the top. We'd rather them stay dormant. We'd rather them stay there sometimes and just say, oh, well, I like my issues I like spending all that I have, my time, my energy, nursing my issues. I'd rather let me nurse my issues. Let me have pity party, nurse my wounds. I'm okay with this. I'll spend all that I have. I'll take all my time to deal with this. Oh, and don't forget, this woman was considered to be unclean by Levitical law. So she was not around, allowed around people. And if she, if she were to go around people, guess what she had to walk around and say? Unclean. Unclean, if anybody touched her or she touched anybody, they, that became unclean. So for 12 years, here's this woman, unclean, unclean. She had been rejected by society. Not only has she have physical issues she's got to deal with and her physical ailments, but she's dealing with her emotional ailments. She's been rejected for 12 years. She's not had a normal life. She's had to announce to everybody, I have gonorrhea, I'm unclean. She's had to tell everybody she goes. I mean, really, that's what this woman's dealing with. And, and, and it's, it's affected her emotionally. Unclean, unclean everywhere she goes, 12 years, rejection, fear, she spent all that she had and hasn't gotten any better, she's only dying, the fear, the fear that must have controlled her, the, the rejection that must have controlled her, the despair and the discouragement, going to the doctors, being told, you're not getting any better, I don't know what else to do for you, maybe go see this doctor. That doctor tries for a couple things, I'm sorry that doesn't work, you need to go see this doctor for 12 years, ongoing cycle, until one day. Everybody say until one day. Until one day, she heard, the Bible says she heard about 
Jesus. We don't know how she heard. We don't know what she heard. Maybe one day she was standing on the outskirt of the city and she saw Jesus coming through the city and she saw people getting healed and she was hearing the testimonies and hearing the shrieks of the demons leaving people. And maybe Who knows what she heard, but she heard something. In Romans it says, faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. She began to hear the testimony of Jesus, which Revelation says is the spirit of prophecy. She began to hear the the declaration of who Jesus was, and faith began to be stirred up on the inside of her that, man, I don't have to live with these issues anymore. I can live free from my issues. And so the Bible says that she came in to the backside of the crowd, and she began to press in the backside. Now, remember, this is not lawful for her to do this. She comes in, tries to hide herself, squeezing in behind Jesus, and grabs hold of the hem of his garment, the, the bottom of his garment. Now the the Greek there, the bottom of the, of the garment is the tassel of the garment. In Deuteronomy, the we see that the priests they had these tassels on their garment, and the number of them were to equal the number of the name of God. So when she began to take hold of that tassel, what she was putting in her hand was the name of God. And I want to tell you, no matter what the situation is in your life or what you're facing, if you'll just begin to take hold of the name of God in your life and begin to declare, I don't know what this situation is going to, what the outcome is. I've spent all that I have had. I've done everything I know to do, but I'm taking hold of the word of God, the name of God, and I am applying his promises to my life. I mean, I don't know how it's going to turn out. I don't know. I may get, get a hold of this garment. I may not feel a thing. I may walk away still sick, still diseased, have to go to the next doctor. But that's not for me to worry about. I've heard that people get healed when they get a hold of Jesus. I, I, I don't know if it's going to turn out the way that I want it or he's going to respond. I don't know how Jesus is going to respond. I mean, here I am. To, I, I, I'm a certain woman that has a sexually transmitted disease grabbing hold of another man's clothes. I don't know what people are... Y'all follow. I don't know what people are going to think about me when I do this, but I can't worry about those things. I've got to take a hold of the word and the name of God, the promise of God, the character of God, his glory. His name is his glory. I've got to take hold of the glory of the Lord in my life and allow it to transform me. And so that's what she did. And when she did, the Bible says in verse 30, that power, he, Jesus recognized power, dunamis, power, the dunamis, the Holy Ghost power, the unction of the Holy Spirit, went out of him. He felt it leave his body. And he turns and says, who touched me? Now you have thousands of people touching you, Jesus. What do you mean, who touched you? See, not everybody in the crowd that day got healed when they touched Jesus. There, there was a demand that was placed by this woman's faith. There was a demand placed on his anointing. When you come hungry and desperate into the house of the Lord, when you come hungry and desperate into the presence of Jesus, you begin to place a demand on the anointing of God. It's not my fault if you come in here and say, I don't feel anything, or I leave, I leave the same way that I came in, or my spiritual life is. It's not my fault your spiritual light is stagnant. The reason your spiritual life is stagnant is because you're not hungry. You're not placing a demand on the anointing. When you begin to live and place a demand on the anointing in your personal life, it'll affect your corporate worship. You'll come in ready, hungry, expecting. When the from the first note, the keyboard plucks on that piano, you're ready. Jesus, 
yes, I'm connected. When, when you begin to uh, come in to church in Sunday school, you don't need your Sunday school teacher, your care group leader, or whatever, to prime the pump. Will you worship? Will you enter in? Will you enter in? You don't need, how many of you know, maybe you've done that a few times with some folks. Will you just enter in? No, you're hungry. There's a demand that you're placing on the anointing yourself. You don't need mom and dad. You don't need your Sunday school teacher. You don't need your pastor. You don't need those people to do it for you. You are placing a demand. And when you do, there's dunamis power that's released in your life. Hallelujah. And so she's, this crowd's thronging him. Not everybody got healed. Not everybody got touched. But Jesus recognized. He turns in the crowd and sees that woman. I wonder what went through her mind when Jesus and her caught eyes. <laughs> what happened? You know, our, our initial thought is probably just that. Uh-oh. And, that's, and actually, that's what Scripture says about this woman, is that there is the fear. Because actually, under the law, she probably could have been stoned for doing what she had just done. And so I'm sure there was an element of fear. But how many of you know, in the presence of Jesus, he's, he's not looking at you in condemnation, saying, guilty, I, guilty is charged, I condemn you to death. No, Jesus came to take upon himself the, the penalty of our sin. Jesus came to take on the penalty and the curse of sin for us. And so he doesn't look at us uh, as, as his children. He doesn't look at us condemned and judged. He looks at us as declared justified and righteous through him. He says, yep, you sinned, you were guilty, but I I've, stuck, I've stamped in blood justified over all of that past. I've, I've stamped over your name justified. And when, when the Father looks at you, He doesn't see you. When, when, when the Father, oh yeah, when the, when, you, when the Father looks at you, he, he sees Jesus. He sees the imprint of His Son who went to the cross, who died in your place. He's not looking at your ugly, filthy mess. Now, does that mean that God winks at sin? Obviously not. God doesn't wink at sin. Sin and the, and the depravity of man and the judgment of it was executed at the cross. When you are a son or daughter of God, the punishment for your sin and the, and the penalty for your sin was executed on that cross. Well, not that cross, but on the cross. It was executed there. You and I don't have to keep carrying the guilt and condemnation of sin. Why do people struggle with sin? I'm convinced a lot of times it's one of two things. One, we're still too busy trying to find pleasure in things that don't satisfy. The Bible says that we've hewn for ourselves cisterns that are broken cisterns. We're, we're trying to fill pots in our lives that are broken and won't satisfy. We're drinking of waters that aren't going to satisfy. When you begin, uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with uh, seeking after pleasure, but it's pleasure in God that you ought to be seeking after. God is, we, we, we play and in, in, in dilly-dally and things too small. We're, we're made and created for eternal pleasure. We, we get stuck in pleasures that won't satisfy, but if you'll begin to drink of the waters of the river of life, those waters satisfy. You don't have to go home and drink the alcoholic beverage. Uh-oh. You can, you can drink, drink of the rivers of water that satisfy... Y'all don't hear what I'm saying. And then secondly, the other reason is because we haven't learned and understood that the price for our sin was paid and the, the penalty for our sin was executed. We don't fully understand the, the propitiation of our sins found in Christ. When you begin to understand the, the curse and the penalty that was paid for you and I to live justified 
You begin to walk holy. You begin to walk circumspectly. You begin to understand that your identity is not wrapped up in the toys that you have and the games that you play. Your identity is wrapped up in that cross and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that comes as a result of that. Yep. Thank you, Lord. So this woman comes in and she comes trembling and she did the same thing Jairus did. They both fell down. If you have a problem with people falling in church, it's right here. They came, they came into the presence of Jesus and they fell down. That's, that's what the Greek says. It says one of them, there's two different Greek words. One of them means that they came in and fell prostrate, literally came into his presence and fell prostrate before him. And the other one means that they came shaking, trembling, and fell in honor, out of respect, and it was a mess. That's what it means. <laughs> so, if you, there you go. If you need a Bible verse for falling, we call it, we've, we've dressed it up and we've called it slain in the spirit. That just sounds, that sound, no wonder people are weirded out about that. We're going to slay you in the spirit today when you come to church. We're going to take the sword of the spirit and we're going to run you through. They just fell. They, they couldn't stand up. That's what the Bible said. That's what the Bible said. They couldn't stand up. They fell. <laughs> We're funny with all of our terms. So the woman comes in. Jesus says, you're healed. Go home. Go in peace. Be healed of your affliction. The word affliction there is your torture. Be healed of your torture. Have you ever felt that way that you're just being tortured? It was like, okay, how many, you're just hanging me up by my, uh, by my earlobes, you know. I just feel like I'm being tortured every time I turn around. Jesus is setting you free from your torture. The dunamis power of heaven. And then in walks, this is a great scene, in walks the, the friends of Jairus. Hey, buddy, sorry, your daughter's dead. Don't worry about the master anymore. Just come on, let's go do a funeral. This, this man had just witnessed this, this woman who was unclean get healed, who had suffered for 12 years. I wonder if he thought, here's this woman, she's just suffered for 12 years. If, if this woman had suffered for 12 years, surely my 12-year-old daughter can get healed. Surely, surely Jesus can raise up my... And, and there, was, there was enough of despair on his face that Jesus looked at him and said, no, 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 don't fear, only believe. Don't be afraid. And he says, he says the same thing to you in your situation, your circumstance. Don't be afraid. Only yeah. believe. Don't be fearful. Only believe. If you'll just, it may not turn out the way that you want. It may not go to the problem. I mean, his daughter died. She was dead. <laughs> she was dead. You know, Paul's dead. They needed to resuscitate, bring in the clackers and raise her up. She was dead. Not the way that we, not the way that we would envision Jesus doing a miracle. But isn't it funny that that seems to be the uh, mode of operation of our Savior? That when when things seem despair and, and hopeless and discouraged, and when when Lazarus is in the tomb and he's beginning to stink because he's been dead for so long, isn't that when Jesus shows up and says? If you'll only believe. I'm the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. If Sometimes, 
Listen to what I'm saying. Sometimes we have to go through the grave to get the resurrection power on the other side. Sometimes you have to go through things that cause your nasty flesh to die so that resurrection life can come on the other side of that thing. It's only when you go through the grave that resurrection comes in that circumstance. And so Jesus goes to the house and he brings in only certain ones with him, you, you know, and he puts out the whalers. Hey, sometimes you got to put out the people of your life who are all, only going to yeah. discourage you and yeah. weep and wail. Oh, isn't it so horrible? Look what this situation. I'm so sorry. It's so horrible. I know. And they just want to have a pity party for you. And don't you know that depression and discouragement follow pity right, below, right behind them? And, and sometimes you're just going to start putting people out of your life. And when you start looking at the dead girl in the bedroom, when you start looking at the dead girl in the bedroom and like Jesus saying, she's not dead, she's only sleeping, they ridiculed him, the Bible says. When you start looking at your situation and start declaring life over your situation, those people around you will start hitting the road because they're saying, looking at you, saying, what are you talking about? That, that situation's dead. It's hopeless. And you keep saying, it's only sleeping. No, because you've tasted of something real. You've tasted of something deeper. You've tasted of something of the Holy Spirit power that, that's resident on the inside of you. You know that the same Spirit of God that's resurrected you can resurrect that dead dream, that dead hope, that dead situation, and you begin to speak the life and hope of God over that, some of those discouraging people will hit the door. They don't want to be around that. They think you're crazy. That's okay. Let them think I'm crazy. Let them, let them say I'm crazy. Let them ridicule me. You can complain all day long about the craziness of Pastor Zach. You can call me whatever you want to call me. That's okay because I've tasted of something real. I've tasted of something that I know that at the end of this thing, that I, there's dead things coming to life in my bedroom. I, I don't know about you, but that dead girl on that bed is getting off that bed. The dead girl on that, in that bedroom is getting up and living and walking. So you can call me crazy. I, I don't care. I know what the end result of this is. I know what the end result is of praying in the Spirit. I know what the end result is of walking in the Spirit. I know what the end result is of living in the anointing. I know what the end result is of putting on the oil of joy and the garment of praise. I know what the end result Why would you want to stay in the stinky, nasty mess anyway? I know what the result... I, I don't need to weep and wail and have all the show and the hooba-jooba outside. I don't need all the... Just get me alone with Jesus in the bedroom and things are going to live. Things are going to live. And so that's what they did. They went in the bedroom. Jesus takes her by the hand and says, Talitha Kumai, little girl, I say to you, arise. He didn't put on some big show. He didn't have to do anything. God, God doesn't need to put on a big show for, for you. When you begin to hear the words, don't be afraid, only believe. Don't be afraid, only believe. And you allow God to take you on the journey of not being afraid, only believe. You don't have to... You don't have to have a big show. You just go in the bedroom in your private time with God and say, God, it's, I, I don't see how it's possible. But you said only believe. I don't know how this is going to happen. But I trust you. And when you do, Jesus steps in and he begins to raise dead things to life. I don't know what happened with this 12-year-old girl and the woman with the issue of blood after the fact. I have to think, though, this is the Prosser addition to the storyline. 
I have to think, though, that Jairus, being that who he was as a ruler and, and an influential political leader in the, in the city, probably had the means of finding out who interrupted his daughter's healing. I, I, think, I think that he had enough ability to figure out who the woman with the issue of blood was. Uh, you know, there was a certain woman. She obviously was somehow known. Uh, she was not named, but somehow known within the community as an unclean lady. And I just, I suspect that maybe Jairus and somehow or another this little girl, this 12-year-old girl and this woman with the issue of blood somehow connected. Somehow they got together after their healings. Somehow this woman, maybe the woman even with the issue of blood, followed alongside of the caravan that went to Jairus' house. And maybe she saw the dead girl come out of the house. I don't, I don't really know. But I, I, think that, I think that I can do justice here and say that, that they, at some point their paths crossed after this. And oh, what the story must have been like. Hey, are you, you're the girl that Jesus raised from the dead. I'm the, I'm the lady that interrupted him on the way to your house. And they begin to share the stories of what Jesus had done in their life. Jesus has done something in your life. Maybe he's raised dead things. Maybe you're still waiting on your miracle. I don't know. You need to begin to share your experience with Christ with someone else. Maybe it's the, as you begin to cross paths with people in church or people in the community, you begin to realize the connectedness that you have because of Jesus and his miracle working power in your life. There's, there's a story that needs to be told. There's, there's an experience with God that's got to be shared. Touched his garment, I got healed. <laughs> I can beat you. I can beat you better than that. I was dead, and Jesus took my hand and told me to wake up. You have a story. You need to share it. If you've experienced the life-changing power of God in your life, share the story. Grace, why don't you come back? Why don't you stand with me? Lord, I thank you for resurrection power. Resurrection power. It's available. It's flowing. Even in this moment, this resurrection power, the river, the, the power, the presence of the Holy Spirit is flowing from your throne. Lord, help us to recognize and to realize this life-changing power that's available to each one of us. Thank you, Lord. Here's what I want to do as we close this evening. I want to pray for folks. If you're here this evening and you would say, I'm going through a difficult situation. I just, I need the dunamis Holy Ghost power of God to begin to manifest in my life, to begin to work through the circumstance. Maybe, maybe you have issues. Maybe you've held on to issues and, and you, need, you need God to come and liberate you from your issues. You need the dunamis power. Listen, when you come in contact with dunamis, the resurrection power of God, He begins to break those things loose in your life. He begins to transform your life. Does it mean that everything all of a sudden is going to be easy and, and uh, smooth? No. It doesn't mean that. This woman had been announcing for 12 years 
that she was unclean. Not everybody immediately heard about her cleanness. There were still things she had to work through. There was still, still reputation that she had to deal with. There were, still, there were still very practical things she had to live out in her life. But it's the dunamis power of God that liberates you. And when the chains come open, then you need to begin to walk out your freedom. When God begins to heal you and raise you from the dead, it's Jesus who said to the parents, get her something to eat. He was just as much concerned about raising her from the dead as he was her discipleship, if you will, after the death-raising experience. Jesus is just as concerned about you being resurrected and coming into new life. He's just as concerned about how you live out the new life that he's giving you. He wants you to be healthy. He wants you to be spiritually fit. And so we're going to pray for, I want to pray for folks. This so as grace sings if you're going through a difficult situation if you're maybe you have issues that you need Jesus this isn't a this isn't judgmental this is this is probably everybody in this room has something that we're facing that we need the dunamis power of God to become evident in our lives and to break chains and to work miracles thank you for joining the celebration podcast for more information, visit ccacron.org or call us at 330-762-7458. You can also download the Celebration app from iTunes or the Android store. With my father, it's so awesome.